Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 58 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today is a prominent member of the ROH Dojo, and he was one of the winners of the Rankings Battle Royal that took place recently on Ring of Honor TV. He is, as the late, great Mean Gene Okerlund would say, my close, longtime personal friend, Joe Keys. Joe, welcome to the show. Oh, hello, Kevin. Thank you for having me on the show. And I don't know uh, how long-term our uh, friendship would be uh, considered, but, you know, you were, uh, you were there um, when I first started wrestling. Not even wrestling, but when I first started training back at MCW in Baltimore. Right. You, were, you were on the events back in 2014. Yeah, I may have exaggerated the close, longtime personal friend, but <laughs> certainly, uh, as I believe Gene did when he would uh, introduce people that way. Uh, but yeah, I think it's been about six years that we've known each other. And uh, yeah, I was there pretty much as far as your career goes from, uh, from day one. And we'll certainly get into that and talk about it later. But first, I have to talk about the rankings battle royal. Uh, that I just alluded to uh, in the opening. Now, for those who didn't see it on TV, and you're wondering what is a rankings battle royal, well, basically it was 15 guys, none of whom were ranked in any of the singles divisions in Ring of Honor. They were all in the battle royal, and it came down to two winners. Uh, you know, traditional battle royals usually have one winner, but there were the final two guys this time, and it was you and mm -hmm. LSG. And now what happens from there is... You and LSG will have a singles match, and that airs this coming weekend on Ring of Honor television. And also, it'll be on uh, Monday uh, on Fight, and on uh, you can watch it on ROHWrestling.com. Do our watch party, hashtag watch ROH. Uh, so it'll be you and LSG, and the winner of that then gets to decide which division he wants to be ranked in, whether it's the Pure Division or the World Television Title Division. And this Battle Royal had some big names. I mean, we're talking about guys like PCO, Mark Briscoe, Mike Bennett, uh, Ray Orris was in the, uh, in the Battle Royal, Dan Housen. Um, and I would, I would say, I, th I think it's safe to say, no disrespect to either you or LSG. Right. I don't think a lot of people would have predicted beforehand that with some of those names in the Battle Royal, that you and LSG would have been the final two survivors and the guys who came out of that to face each other. So I guess my question just to you is uh, talk about what this opportunity uh, means to you, because once again, ring of honor is showing faith in you and putting you in the spotlight when again, they could have put a quote unquote bigger name over here, but giving right. opportunities to guys like yourself and LSG. Right. Right. Well, here's a funny story going into this, uh, this battle Royal. I originally wasn't, plan to be in it uh somebody had gotten uh i forget I, I don't even know who it was but somebody had gotten hurt and they needed a replacement and i just happened to be hanging around not even i don't even think i was booked to wrestle that day uh but all the other all the other dojo students were in there eric and dante were in there uh dixon was in there so they said screw it why not let's just throw joe in there as well uh to fill in that spot so like, i wasn't even on paper to be in this match uh, but the names, the names you were listing, like the Mark Briscoe and PCO and Dan Housen, can you remember who was in there? Like Sledge was in there. 
Yeah, O'Shea was in there. O'Shea was in there. Berger was in there. Uh, it was kind of overwhelming to look around and be like, some of these guys aren't even ranked in the system. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, especially Mark Briscoe. I was just trying to avoid him the whole time. I heard him throwing some bombs in there and just lighting some kid up. I forget who it was. I could hear him, you know, Sandy Forks screaming before he threw those chops and just made sure to stay as far away from that as possible. Yeah, it's a good move. Mm-hmm. But just getting this opportunity to, you know, show what we can do. By we, I mean me and LSG. Because uh, I know him and I have both been grinding to get in this position. And uh, ironically enough, this isn't the first time LSG and I have, uh, have wrestled each other. We've wrestled each other a handful of times uh, in our careers prior first i think starting in mcw in baltimore um back when i was like some pale skinny fat kid just starting and lsg was also some pale skinny fat kid from uh, from the monster factory just getting his opportunity in ring of honor um but he was just getting on ring of honor for the first time just like i was now or i am now uh we had a you know, some decent matches, and then we wrestled again for uh, for WrestlePro up in New York. And then it's almost like uh, it comes full circle again that we get to do it now here on TV in a few days from now. Um, it's just one of those small stories that built itself up over time. It's great to see a little payoff now, and I, I hopefully this isn't the last time we get to wrestle, whether here in Ring of Honor or elsewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember – I think I remember the match when you guys uh, wrestled in MCW. It was, wasn't that long. I mean, it was a few years ago. So not really in the big scheme of things all that long ago. And to go from that uh, to, like you said, now you're going to be in a prominent match featured on Ring of Honor television. Uh, that is, I mean, that's definitely a testament to both you guys for mm-hmm. the grind and the hustle and also your talent. Because uh, I've, I've said this a million times, and it's such a cliche, but I believe it a thousand percent is that the cream always rises to the top eventually. Talent will always win out. It may take longer than maybe it should, or who knows, whatever timeline that might be. But ultimately, the people who are talented are going to get opportunities. And uh, I'm happy to see – I'm happy for both you guys because I know how talented you both are. I know how much both you guys want it and how hard that you've worked to get yourselves uh, into this position. And, and let me say this, like, sure, it would have been one thing to have a Mark Briscoe or a PCO or, any, you know, Mike Bennett, mm. obviously bigger marquee, quote unquote, marquee names. Uh, but those guys are already made, right? They're all made and they're all established. Let's give, and, and this is what I love about how this thing played out. Let's give the opportunity to these guys that are on the way up, like yourself and LSG. So um, I think that was a great move, you know, and, and, and I'm really I'm looking forward to see what you guys do in the ring together because uh, I know you are both so hungry and uh, and want to constantly move up that ladder. So uh, for everybody uh, listening again, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, the first day that the podcast drops uh, this coming weekend or whatever you're listening to this week, uh, this weekend, Ring of Honor Wrestling, don't miss it, LSG and Joe Keys. Winner gets to be ranked in the division of his choosing. If you win, Joe, have you thought about uh, – we've seen you in the pure division. Uh, what are you thinking? And maybe you don't want to give it out. I don't know. But are you leaning one way or the other, pure, or maybe trying your luck at the uh, television title division? Man, my, 
my heart right now is kind of set in the pure division. Yeah. I can't, I can't get my mind out of it, especially after I had uh, the opportunity to wrestle, uh, wrestle Gresham for the title. It's just like, it's challenging. And if somebody is able, whomever, if somebody is ever able to dethrone Gresham for that title, like, they're going to be elevated to another level, like automatically, not just like in the pure division, quote unquote, but in wrestling in general, in the world. Russian, without a doubt, is top five wrestlers on the planet. I'm not, I'm not talking like on TV. I'm talking rope to rope, bell to bell, professional wrestler on the planet. And just getting an opportunity to face him for the pure title, the coveted pure title, which is you know, Gresham's title. I'm pretty sure Gresham was the one who fought to bring the pure title back. And it's only just that he is the champion. But whoever takes that title off him is just automatically elevated to another level within itself. You know what I mean? That's for sure. There's no doubt about that. And another cliche that I'll, I'll throw out there that I think is true. You know, people have debated, is it the title that makes the man or the man that makes the title? And I've always been a firm believer, it's the man that makes the title. And Jonathan Gresham is making the pure championship really prestigious and really means something. And you're 100% right that whoever beats Jonathan Gresham is, is I mean, obviously that's going to be, if it's someone who's already an established name, it'll, it'll just make them even bigger that that's the feather in their cap to beat, to beat Gresham. Or if it's someone on the rise, um, right. again, that's a way to really make someone. Is to, but, you know, I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, Gresham's look, <laughs> he's been pretty unbeatable. So, um, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I think, I mean, obviously I, I would, you know, of course you could say I'm biased being with front of honor, but I think Gresham is the best technical wrestler in the world. Um, and like you said, if you look at top five, not just pure wrestling, but, but any style of wrestling, Gresham mm-hmm. is right there. I mean, it's just, it's almost uncanny how smooth that he is in the ring. I mean, it's just, it's, he's incredibly gifted. Yeah, it's a lot of the a lot of the moves that I do, I know Gresham does. So we do the same moves, but Gresham just does them better. It's just I and you think of you think of all the matches he's had for the company defending the pure title or even in the pure tournament, he's found a different way to win every time. And he he's renowned for using the the octopus stretch. That's his signature submission. He hasn't used it yet. Right. He's used some sort of pin or some new submission that hasn't been done God knows how long to beat everybody. And if he's pulling out all these different ways to win, if he does pull out that octopus stretch, we already know you can't get out of that. So now his arsenal is just like tenfold deeper than what it already was. And I may even have to say, I don't think there's anybody in this company that can beat him we might have to look outside the realms of the ring of honor roster to find someone that could compete with him for his oh, title. No, one, no one's been able to beat him so far. That's for sure. Not even, you know, Jay lethal. Uh, Jay lethal couldn't beat him. Dak Draper, who's nearly twice his size. Couldn't beat him. We're kind of running out of running out of challenges for him. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about uh, Gresh a little bit more because um as you alluded to, your first real big breakout moment uh, in this company was mm-hmm. winning the uh, gauntlet match, the pure gauntlet match over your fellow dojo members, mm-hmm. uh, Dante Caballero, Ken Dixon, Eric Martin. 
winning that match earned you a shot against Gresham for the pure championship. And you and Gresh had an awesome match that I think really opened a lot of people's eyes about Joe Keyes. So talk to me first, though, just about the role that Jonathan Gresham has played in your career in Ring of Honor. So Gresham, it's it's no secret that Gresham is the the head trainer of uh, us dojo, and he he's out there either ringside or doing commentary for majority of our matches. He's had a heavy influence on how I wrestle now. Um, you know, if you would ask me a few years ago, if you would have seen me as a wrestler a few years ago versus now within the last like 10 months, the transformation over, over that time is incredible because it's not just the moves and the transitions and the pins, but it's the confidence that I was able to build as a wrestler. And I, I wholeheartedly think Jonathan Gresham had a hand in that because uh, you can be as good as you want, but if you don't have the confidence to back it up, then you're always a step or two behind. And Gresham could see that in me and Dante and Eric. And Gresham was the one who, who went to bat for all of us. He's the one who went up to the bookers and said, I, I want to show what my guys can do so much so that I'll, I'll put my title on. I'll wrestle one of my kids, my students to show you how good they are. And he, he didn't have to do that. Nobody in the company would have done. I, I never, I'm sure it's been done, but I can't recall any time recently that a champion has been like, let me wrestle one of my students for my title. Yeah. You know, I still can't recall that. That's risky in a sense. Cause the company's invested so much into him. And like, what if there was a, like, what if I did pull something on John? Right. And Joe Keys is the pure champion. It's like, whoa, hold on. How are we, we going to advertise this? The freaking dojo student is now on our billboards and our marquees now. Well, <laughs> but, I'll, I'll say, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'll say this, uh, as we've said, I, I've known you since, you know, pretty much day one of your training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always saw as, as you were kind of moving your way up in MCW, you know, you could see like, all right, he, he's pretty good. Um, you know, I know it's sort of a backhanded compliment when say someone's a good hand, right? right. But, you know, you could see, okay, he knows what he's doing and he's got a future. I never saw you as this technical wrestling wizard though, until I saw that match against, I mean, you blew me away. When I watched that match against Gresham, you did look like a totally different wrestler than the guy I had seen for years in MCW, not mm-hmm. just the technical wrestling style, but to your point, the confidence uh, you, you could just see the confidence in the way you were transitioning from move to move in the match. And, you know, I guess a lot of that is, hey, you're in there with the, one of the best in the world. Um, right. like t- hard to have a bad match with Jonathan Gresham, but I think you proved and you more than held your own and you showed that you belonged in the ring with Gresham, which, you know, I mean, that's probably the biggest compliment you could give anyone, right? Is that Absolutely. you were in the ring with Jonathan Gresham and you belonged. And like um, Dan McDevitt, uh, Dan McDevitt's the the uh, owner of MCW for those listening in. But Dan would always oversee our trainings and oversee the student development. And he would always talk about like you could see it in the younger guys or even some of the older guys when that light bulb clicks off for them, yeah. and they finally get who they are or like what kind of wrestler they're meant to be. And like Kevin, you could see it for years when I first started, I was just kind of doing this and that and you know, going with everything. I don't think it was until I started training under John that that light bulb clicked off or not clicked off, but, you know, turned on 
that this technical wrestler is who I'm supposed to be. Like this is this is my bread and butter, and I need to stay with this because you know that's what's that's what's finding me success all of a sudden, and little by little just finding uh, more confidence in what I'm doing, um, you know, getting excited about what I'm doing. It's it's a whole different ball game now because like before I'd go in a match like oh, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if people are going to like this, but now I'm going to stuff like, yeah, this is going to be great. We're going to do this. I know that people are going to bite on it. I know it's going to be great. Like I've never had that confidence before until I started working and being around John Gresham. Right. So was that your, th- cause that was going to be my next question is you've got this great opportunity against Gresham. You know, you're going to go out and have this match on TV. It's fewer, the pure championship, biggest match of your career without a doubt. Before you go through the curtain, are you feeling confident and is it in your mind? Are you like, all right, we're going to, we're going to kill this. I'm going to put on a show with Gresh and we're going to, sh- I'm going to show what I can do. Or were there any nerves? I mean, you're going out there with not only one of the best in the world, but he's your coach, he's your trainer. So what was the mindset? I, I wasn't nervous at all. And I feel, I feel like maybe that's why the match was so good. I'm going out <laughs> there. Like you said, you're in there with John Gresham. Like it's already going to be good. Just baseline because he's there. But, you know, at no point did it feel like John was carrying my weight for me. Right. And, you know, things went off without a hitch. Everything was there. At no point was I'm like, oh, I'm messing up. Oh, I'm screwing up. This is so bad. Oh, I know Lethal's watching. I know Taven's watching. You know, that's – as a younger guy, that would get in my head if I'm going out and I know, like, some of the bigger vets are watching. I'm like, ah, damn it. Like, I'm already nervous now. But that, that wasn't there in this match. Did John say anything to you before the match to uh, sort of get you to relax or did he have any encouragement or like, I'm, I'm just curious, what was the conversation like before? John the- had, this was during one of the ROH bubbles. John had five matches within two days, I believe. Wow. So I'm pretty sure he was jumping around place to place and like before we went out, he was just like deep breath, drink your water. You know, we gotta get the. We'll be great. It'll be fine. All right. Just like, like, not really so long inspirational speech, but I could definitely see John's like mind was racing through all the stuff he had to do this week. But I'm not. It didn't have a mindset like he was just blowing it off as another match. But he's just the guy in the company right now. Right. And it's just amazing that he had five matches in two days, and he was able to come go like 15, 16 minutes with me. And then afterward, I didn't even see him because he had to run off and go <laughs> put another match together. Well, so that's, that's interesting because that's what I was going to ask you is, well, first, once the match was over, mm-hmm. did you immediately have a sense of, that was really good? Like, did you get the sense of, like, that was everything I thought it would be? That's my first, first part of that question. Second part is, what was the reaction like when you went back through the curtain? What kind of feedback did you get? And what did Gresh say to you? I guess you said he, he wasn't able to say anything immediately because he had to run off and do something else. But what was the feedback like from others, other of your peers, and then eventually from Gresham? So when I was finished, um, you know, I'm walking to the back. I'm thinking, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I wasn't like all like, full of myself about it. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty fun. That was cool. You know, John's really – I like because I've wrestled John in training all the time. Sure. So I'm – just used to being in the ring with them and it's felt like an extended training session almost. And then I get to the back and like lethal came up to me and 
lethal and I at this point had like barely ever talked because he had no reason to talk to me. I'm like the new guy around and he's the <laughs> top star Jay lethal. And he pulls me aside. He's like, Joe, that was, that was really, really good. That was really, really good. And lethal's not somebody to sugarcoat something. If it sucked, tell you it sucked or he just won't say anything to you at all. Um, but you know, all the top guys were coming up and complimenting the match. And like, while, while you're in there, well, while I was in there, I could really couldn't pick a gauge on how everything was going because it just felt like, like I said, it just felt like another training session with John. So I just needed to hear that feedback from everybody else. And the feedback was just everyone thought it was fantastic. But now I'm thinking, like, was it more on me or was it like John's just that good? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, and I'm not just blowing smoke here with you, Joe. I, I think it was it was definitely that it was uh, two guys in there that had mm-hmm. a great match together. And, and yes, Jonathan Gresham is so good. Again, the old cliche, he could go in with a broomstick or whatever, you know, have a great match, but you weren't yeah. a broomstick. I mean, you weren't uh, Nikita Koloff. Well, this is going to date me. You weren't Nikita Koloff being carried to a five-star match by Ric Flair. Okay. And I know yeah. that's way, way, way before your time. That's super dated. Uh, yeah, super dated. I'm, I'm old Joe. You know that. Uh, but you know, this was a, this was a great match between two guys. I mean, certainly obviously Gresham's the more experienced and mm-hmm. all that uh, he led the match, but again, you more than held your own. You didn't look like you didn't belong in the ring with him. And I think we've seen in other matches that you've had in ring of honor as of late that didn't involve Jonathan Gresham. We're also, you know, like you said, that light or whatever, that light bulb has clicked. And, and I think you've really found your, um, your niche, you know, and I think this, the, the technical wrestling thing, again, a few years ago, I would have never thought necessarily that that's going to be your thing, but clearly it is. And, uh, <laughs> me <you know>. neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the other thing that opened people's eyes too around this time with this match with Gresham was the sit down pre-match promo that you did. Um, and I think, I don't know that people had ever really even, Hurt. Had you had you gotten any opportunity before that to speak in Ring of Honor? I don't think you really did, right? Maybe something small here and there, but I had another. I had a prior speak to, uh, sit down promo. It was like me and Dante. That's right. Um, right. But that was just like a hi, I'm Jokies, and you know, right. it was the one with you and Dante, and then Ken and Eric Martin had one together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But this is the first one that was like really spotlighted on me. Um, to just accentuate like what I can do with a promo. And for me, it was a challenge. Well, I wouldn't even say it was a challenge because it was one of those that was just real. You know what I mean, so um, to recap for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, before the match with Jonathan, I dedicated it to uh, my first trainer, RJ Meyer, the bruiser who trained me at MCW um, up until I joined the ROH Dojo. And RJ, I believe it was around a month prior, had passed away from his battle with leukemia. And Kevin, you're part of the MCW family, and just everyone was gutted. Yeah. He was the heart and soul of that company, and I don't know if anyone could take his place. Like not just the company in terms of like the locker room, but like the fans, like the whole community sense. He was the mayor, the leader, the face, the heart, the spirit, anything, whatever you want to call it. And him just passing away, it, 
and not just gutted the community, like the wrestling community in Baltimore itself, just the amount of people that were paying homage to him was incredible. Just the, the outreach he had on people. Yeah. I had um, Moses and Khan, the soldiers of savagery, obviously uh, yeah. I had them on the podcast, I think maybe a week after mm-hmm. our, uh, RJ had passed. And so obviously the, the wounds were, were really fresh at that point. And, yeah. and we talked about, you know, the impact that RJ has had uh, on them and on, you know, other guys like yourself who are with Ring of Honor. And the real shame is that, yes, RJ was this huge legend uh, in Baltimore and, and MCW, uh, but he never got to make a huge impact on a national level um, mm-hmm. for whatever the circumstances were. Um, you know, some of it, he battled personal demons as you know, with everything in this business, some of it's timing, but he came to grips with the fact that, okay, he's going to be this big local star in Maryland, but his legacy is going to be getting the next generation of stars ready and creating. He said to me one time, he's like, you know, my destiny was not to be on Monday night raw my destiny or, you know, ring of honor wrestling or AEW dying, whatever it was. Yeah. My, my, my ultimate destiny was to get people ready for those spots. Yeah. And that's, and that's what he's done. And beyond, like you said, I mean, beyond just being a great trainer, um, I'm sure <laughs> bruiser RJ probably, you know, taught you a lot of life lessons as well and probably helped um, you become the man. Absolutely. That you today. Absolutely. Even more so than, even more so than wrestling, just, you know, when I met him, I was at an impressionable stage of my life. I'm like 21 years old. Don't really know who I want to be. I'm just finishing up college and all that jazz. Um, and then, like, he comes into my life just like a super imposing figure. You know what I mean? You know how he was. He was always loud and just intimidating, especially to someone just meeting him. The first time I met him, funny story, I was uh, – at the MCW training center and we used to set up these old little picket signs for the events and I was early and he just shuffles in and I've never seen this guy before. And he just starts screaming. He's like, you're it. You're the only help we got. Just one new student. I asked for at least 12 people. I just get you. What's your name? And I told him my name. He's like, all right, Joe. He picks up one of the picket and it's like a pointed stick that you plant into the ground. You know what I'm talking about with a, staple assigned to it or whatnot and he puts it up to my face and he's like maybe i just better start beating some more ass around here and then i can get the respect i think i deserve you're gonna be the first one i'm standing there i just met this guy i'm like shivering i'm like i didn't i don't know what to do what to do i'm here (laughs) (laughs) he's like just don't piss me off and this is right around when he came back he like you said he had his demons he had his problems uh with drug use and whatnot uh, but he's the only person I know who's had his drug problems, like went to recovery and then thrived afterward. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think like training the new generation, like you said, I think that was like his new addiction. Yeah. Just staying in wrestling. That's what he had to sink his teeth into to keep from going back to the the old demons. And like he just he loved his students unconditionally. There's no question about that. And yeah, as gruff uh, as he could be, as his gruff exterior and, you know, tough as nails, hard ass trainer and all those things. But underneath that, 
And if he's listening to us right now from somewhere, he'd probably hate that we're saying this. But underneath that, a real heart of gold. And just, I mean, literally one of the best people that I've ever known. I mean, just such a good, just a good person. And to see where he came from, um, you know, I had known him, I'd met him years and years ago when he was maybe not the nicest guy in the world. You know? uh, and he did have his demons and all those things. To see who, the man that he became and, and who he, uh, you know, passing along his knowledge and experience and wisdom and basically wanting all of his kids to thrive. Like it was just, it was, I've always said, I mean, it was just, it was a real privilege for me to just to know him, to be around him. Um, you know, and I took a lot of, you know, as my doing my little heel manager gimmick on MCW, um, I got a lot of great advice and mm. uh, bruiser and, and, you know, he would never hesitate to tell me, but that really sucked. You know, don't do that. <laughs> you know, that's not how you get heat. Um, and, you know, but always said with, you know, uh, conviction, uh, but not in a way to knock you down, just in a way to get you to do it better next time. Yeah. And like, like everybody says they know that guy, like, oh, this person should have been on Raw for like 10 years and blah, blah, blah. You hear that about so many people. Like, RJ legitimately was one of those people. Yeah. Um, he just... Well, he was like a prodigy. He was like 18 yeah. or 19, I think, when he started training and was just, you know, he had it, quote unquote, it. Yeah, he just he was trained by Axel Rodden and the old ECW guys, so their uh, recreational life caught up on him, unfortunately. Yeah, but again, uh, you know, fortunately for RJ, he uh, he got his life together, man, and and what, he made such a positive impact, and uh, and like I said, what a legacy, and it's living on through guys like you. So, and I know that was a big part of that promo that you cut was, um, and again, it was real. This was not a wrestling promo per se this was you speaking from the heart is that unfortunately rj did not get to see your big moment you know at least not he wasn't physically here to see it uh but i'm sure you know whatever people believe i believe in an afterlife i think rj was certainly aware uh and was looking down on you know not not to sound corny or whatever but i think he i think he was looking down on you uh during that match i really do um (laughs) Um, they probably yelling at me too. Yeah, making this big promise for me and then lose. Yeah. <laughs> but no, he would he you win, you turd. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're not kidding. But he was he was always proud of uh, his students, and it, it just doesn't just extend to us and the the Ring of Honor kids like me, Dixon, Dante, uh, SOS. Um, but even guys I first started with, like uh, Patrick, the Velveteen Dream, and. Leo, when they got their big breaks, and uh, Jessica Carr, who's a SmackDown ref, like he's ecstatic for all of them and any opportunity uh, they got, and they thrived. And you know, he was when they'd come to Baltimore, he'd be there. And he's one of those old school guys, like, yeah, I'm not going to any of the shows. But when his kids came to town, of course, he would go and support them and see them and whatnot. Uh, even uh, Renee Michelle, she's getting breaks on AEW Dark. Now, but he would always, you know, call them and ask how they're doing. Is there anything you can do for them or advice or whatnot? And they they all knew RJ was, like you said, prodigy genius. So they'd always call him and ask for, you know, tips and advice. Um, and even our other trainer, uh, Tyler Hilton Dean, if he's listening, he probably hates that we just name dropped him. But he's another one that the students uh, who I first started with 
call back and ask for his advice and his wisdom. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, yeah, so many of the guys that are in the ROH dojo now uh, did come up with you in, uh, in MCW. You said Dante, Ken Dixon, Eric, SOS. Um, how would you describe the relationship that you guys all have? Because you're all, you're all part of, I guess, a brotherhood in a sense and root for each other. But I mean, in a sense, it's also a competition. I mean, you're competing, I guess, for spots. Um, yeah. How would you just, I mean, is it just kind of like a friendly competition or like, how would you categorize it? Well, like you said, it's a competition in the sense that this is still like trying to get a job, <laughs> trying to get through doing this. Um, but we find what we're good at for each other. So like Ken Dixon, to his detriment, uh, is not the best technical wrestler, is not the most athletic wrestler, but I can't do Ken Dixon. Right. Ken Dixon's a way better Ken Dixon than I could ever be. <laughs> so he found his niche with the, with the bouncers as of late and he's taking off with them and he's having fun with it. Uh, I feel like that's most important. Uh, same with Eric. Eric's still new. Eric's like 23. So he's still finding himself, but he's in a fantastic spot. He's in shape. He's a good wrestler. He's just, you know, figuring it out. But 23 and getting opportunities on Ring of Honor TV, that's a pretty damn good position to be in, if you ask me. Absolutely. Um, and then, I don't know, Dante's kind of my parallel. Yep. He's got Puerto Rican genetics. <laughs> but Dante, Dante and I were tag partners back in MCW. We tag frequently on Ring of Honor. Um, if anything, he's my greatest rival, but one of my better friends, too. So, you know, and Moses and Khan gotten the great opportunity with uh, Shane Taylor and currently, you know, two thirds of the Ring of Honor World Six Man Tag Team Champs. Six Man Champs. Yeah, they found their groove and, you know, they just fit perfectly with Shane Taylor and, you know, they're going to make their money. They're going to make their waves. Uh, but, you know, me and Dante, we can't do what they do. So if we think of things for them. They try it out. If it works, they use it. And they think of things for us. If it works, we use it. We're always like looking out for each other. Like you said, we got that brotherhood, that bond. Um, but in the same sense, we got to stand across the ring from each other. We're going to bring it for one another because we know RJ would yell at us if we didn't. <laughs> Let me ask you about the um, ROH dojo system under Gresham, under Will Ferrara. Mm -hmm. It really is patterned after the New Japan Young Lions system. Uh, yes. which I love, and I think obviously the proof is in the pudding. Uh, New Japan's had quite a track record of success with that system. But basically, uh, if people aren't really familiar with what we're talking about, in that Young Lions system, you are pretty much stripped down of any personality, any pomp and circumstance. Uh, you've got nondescript black tights, black boots, and especially in New Japan, like you're going to be looking up at the lights a lot. Like That's your role. Um, um, doing that a lot here. What's that? <laughs> doing that a lot here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't think maybe you guys are doing this in the ROH dojo, but I remember talking to Jay White a couple years ago, right before when he was doing his excursion with Ring of Honor. Yeah. Um, he came obviously from the Young Boy system, and like a big part of it is like doing the other guy's laundry, right? Like that's another way of paying your dues. So I don't know if you're having to, uh, you know, do Gresham's uh, laundry or not, but or Will's laundry, but. That's another thing they do. But anyway, we've implemented the system, which, again, I think is really good. 
I want to know, though, what were your initial thoughts? Because you had sort of developed a persona at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You were doing swipe, swipe right. Is it swipe right or swipe left? Swipe left. I, I don't know. What is it? <laughs> it, was, it was swipe right um, at first, and then I kind of uh, – yeah, I don't kind of, know what this is all about, but swipe right, that's a good – that's good. <laughs> it, had, um, it had a short shelf life to it, but it yeah. was something that was just eccentric enough that people would be like, oh, that's, uh, that's something different. That's something new, but then um, Dante Dante was in the same boat. We're just kind of like fishing around for something that works, and we got placed together as a tag team for a while as uh, the cartel, which I don't know how that would uh, work on a TV sense, but (laughs) essentially I was like a Miami Vice-based character, and I was the quote-unquote import, and Dante was the uh, Puerto Rican uh, quote-unquote export. This was all in MCW Pro Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was making waves here and there, and we would tag a few times uh, in the dark matches for Ring of Honor. Um, but with something a character with characters like that that are so eccentric, if they're not like perfected, then they just kind of sink. Especially if you're just thrown on the TV with no background sense to it. Right. So someone like uh, Danhausen, and Danhausen is just, I feel character wise, like a diamond in the rough. Like you're only going to get one Danhausen ever. But when Danhausen was brought onto the product, Danhausen was like Danhausen. Like, <laughs> you couldn't, you can't really critique a way to add or take away because there's never, it's never been done before. So Danhausen just evolves as Danhausen evolves. But with us, um, if it sucked, it was going to suck. And we were kind of glued to that character but with taking them away and starting over we didn't really have to worry about oh where do we piece in personality and you know where do we force feed this gimmick sometimes you know that's how it felt sometimes or how we were always yelled at if you're going to do something like this you gotta you gotta have some sort of character or gimmick or whatever um but going mirroring the the young lion system just going bare bones that we didn't have to worry about it we just had to worry about making sure the wrestling was good. Uh, and to me, and Dante's credit, we were already pretty good at the wrestling. And then training under Gresham and Will, we found ourselves, like I said, I found myself technical. Like I'm really good at technical wrestling and finding ways to make it work. Which if we were still, you know, if I was still wearing pastel colors and having a jet black mustache, I don't think I ever would have found that. Right. Yeah, I, I was curious as to, because, you know, obviously finding a character is very important in this business, and you were trying to find something, and this swipe right Joe Keys with the Miami Vice look and uh, yeah. the cheesy black mustache was sort of making you stand out. So I, I guess what I'm wondering is that when, when you, you finally got something going, and then they come to you and say, oh, yeah, all that stuff you're doing, stop. Put on these black tights and don't show it a lot of personality. So, I mean, but you're saying you were okay with that. You weren't taken aback by it. No, I I wasn't because I feel like where I was, um, you know, doing the swipe right thing on the indies, like on the indies, you can make it work. Like people are going to, you're like, you're going to like this, whether you want to or not. Um, Or not, not in that sense, but, uh, you know, you're thrown out there and people are either going to laugh at or be like, what the hell is this? But you're on Ring of Honor TV. Right. You're on a whole nother level. You gotta like, you're on TV. You don't have room to sink. On the Indies, you could sink a little bit. I mean, yeah, all right, we learned something. When you're on the bright lights, 
you don't have room to sink. It's got to be, it's got to be hundred percent perfected. And I don't, I wasn't confident in it a hundred percent to think that it would, you know, get over on TV right away and stripping away from it. Uh, and I keep going back to this element, help me find confidence in myself to where I can organically, I guess, evolve into a gimmick, so to say, instead of just going out there and be like, this is what you're getting people. Right. And so that's the whole, that's the whole basis of what, what John's going for. He says, I want to give people new guys who they kind of grow up and see develop. So people will recognize me, Dante, Eric, and Dixon as like the new kids on the block or like our little baby projects. And then as the years go by, we just evolve into, you know, you see the new Japan, they just slowly evolve into new characters into like their champions. And people can always recall back like, Oh, I remember when they were doing their excursions. And- exactly. That's that. And I'll use Jay White again as an example. It's like, mm-hmm. I remember when he did his excursion with us with ring of honor, and just watching him like, man, this guy's really good. Like there's, like, there's going to, he's got a bright future. And yeah. then he finishes his excursion, goes back to new Japan and creates the switchblade persona. Yeah. And next thing you know, he's headlining shows at the Tokyo dome in Madison square garden. Yeah. People got and to see that they got to follow him from young boy doing a lot of jobs. Okay. Goes on excursion, gets some experience. Now he's, he's wrestling in main events on huge shows. Absolutely. And that's, that's what Gresham is trying to pull with us. And we, um, he had big things lined up for us a year ago, but again, the world shut down and dampered plans for everyone. Yeah. But John's original plan was uh, for Dante and I to like travel with him to all his indie booking events and whatnot. And we would do the, the young lion gimmick with him. So we would, you know, uh, get experience under John's discretion and wrestle against like John's opponents who would be top quality indie guys or other TV guys. And at the same time, be building that, that reputation that Jay White was, uh, cause you know, and like uh, another example, these are the guys I remember, uh, yo and show, uh, right. in New Japan now, uh, the IWGP uh, junior weight tag champs. I think they may have lost it, but, um, I remember when they were coming over doing their excursions and then they were like the Tempura boys for a little while. And then they come in, uh, they come back as Rapungi three K with Rocky. And so it's just like a slow, gradual evolution into these, you know, eccentric characters. So that's what John had in mind for us. Yeah. It's a great system has a great track record. And I think it's, um, it's going to pay dividends for Ring of Honor, I think, as well, with guys like yourself. All right, well, we're going to have to take uh, our first break here, and then we'll be back with more with Joe Keys. No, don't, don't swipe left on us. Uh, come back. There's more right after this. I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Ender the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. And I'm Tia the Wizard. And if you want to see us try to attempt to rob a boat, check out Roleplay of Honor. Join these stars and more for Roleplay of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong podcast. My guest is Joe Keys. 
Joe, let's uh, go back to the beginning with you now. Let's go back to uh, when did you first become a wrestling fan? What age were you and how did you discover pro wrestling? Okay, so I like telling the story because it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of different. Uh, so most of you will say like, oh, I started watching like the old WWF or WWE, at least for P- uh, people my age. For me, I remember the first time I ever watched wrestling was probably like the 2005 SmackDown. And I was just catching the very end of a show and they're having this big run-in stuff in the ring. And then the big show came out and just leveled everybody. And I was so turned off because I was like, nobody can beat that guy. He's seven foot, 500 pounds. I'm not going to watch this. He's just going to win every week. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't watch wrestling anymore because of that moment. Um, then a few years later, I'm 13 or something like that. And I'm watching it in my parents' basement because I'm just like skimming through the channels and the beautiful people were on TV. And again, I'm like 13. So I'm like, whoa, what is this? Make sure mom doesn't come down. Well, I think we can all identify with that. I was, I was older than 13 and I was like, whoa, what is this? And I was like, what is going on right here? And then like the music hits, it's like the stomping noise. And here comes awesome Kong. I'm like, holy God, what is that? She's going to murder those chicks. And she did. She came out and killed Angelina and Velvet. I'm like, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Like, who is that? And I'm going to watch her again. So every week, I would turn into TNA on Thursdays on Spike to watch Awesome Kong. Like, I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted to watch Awesome Kong, like, destroy the beautiful people. But, you know, you can't predict what segment they're coming out. So I just had to sit through the rest of the programming. And I remember watching like, Motor City Machine Guns and lax when it was homicide and hernandez like whoa these guys are incredible what is what is, what is this this is the pro wrestling stuff but it's not this is like better and you know i couldn't look away and then like kurt angle came out it was like 2017 a when they were just forming like the main event mafia and all that so like angle comes out angle's laying waste there well like well, that guy's the coolest ever and then here's awesome kong geeking out because she's killing everyone again then I'm slowly, you know, the, slowly the hooks are being sunk in. I'm looking these people up because this is right around like when YouTube's getting popular. So then I'm looking up all the Kurt Angle matches and finding he was in WWE. I'm like, oh, that was the, that stuff I didn't really give a chance because the Big Show killed him. And then I saw Kurt Angle kill Big Show. I'm like, whoa, what? That guy can lose? Because, you know, it was still real to me back then. So. Yes. Do you, do you remember the big uh, Samoa Joe Kurt Angle angle where, with the headbutt when they were having the face-to-face? I think I started watching like a few months after that. Okay. Because this was right around the time they were about to form the main event mafia. Okay, right. Yeah, that was the remember I hated with a passion. I hated Jeff Jarrett because Jeff Jarrett was married to Angle's ex. Right. <laughs> And I hated AJ Styles. I just randomly hated AJ Styles. Probably because he was always wrestling Kurt. Um, like, I legit hated these people. <laughs> well, it's um, like good to you. Yeah, I, like, Kurt would lose, and I get all crowded. like, ruin my night. <laughs> uh, but I just, I, I kept watching, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, Kurt used to wrestle for the, that WWE show, and so then I would watch SmackDown. And then Raw, and then 
that's when they had like the WWE version of ECW on Tuesday. So I had a little schedule planned out to watch Raw on Monday. It was like ECW for an hour on Tuesday, nothing on Wednesday, TNA on Thursday, and then SmackDown on Friday. And I would watch every one of those shows for about like two years straight until I went to like my first live event in Baltimore when they had, I think it was like when CM Punk turned heel on Jeff Hardy um, before Punk blew up. And at the time I was a huge Jeff Mark, uh, Jeff Hardy fanboy, like everyone was. And I just like legit hated Punk forever. <laughs> Even to the point when like Punk got really popular. I was like, eh, something about this guy. I don't know why I just don't like him. But it was from when I was like 14. I still couldn't get over him. I'll never forgive what he did to Jeff Hardy. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not kidding. That was embedded hatred in my brain. <laughs> but yeah, like most people I knew, they started watching when they were like eight or nine. And I started watching when I was like 13, 14. Well, that, is, that is definitely a different story. Uh, you're right. Because, yeah, I was one of those people that started when I was six, right? So yeah. I was definitely one of those real young ones. Um, but it's definitely different because everybody you talk to, it's like, obviously, most people, they discovered WWE. Although there's some people who weren't necessarily in WWE that, that loved, they discovered Ring of Honor. And yeah. that when, the, when Ring of Honor and the indies were really, you know, kind of blowing up after ECW, the original, died. Yeah. Uh, people got into that. You're the first person that I've ever heard say, yeah, it was TNA that really got me into the business. TNA, so, like specifically Awesome Kong. And specifically Awesome Kong. But she was, not you know, pun intended, she was pretty awesome. And oh, absolutely. the thing people have to remember back then is that WWE at that point was doing like eye candy divas. I yeah. think at that point they were still doing like bikini matches and dance-offs and all this kind of stuff. And uh tna was really blazing a path and like the, one of the best feuds going at that time was gail kim mm -hmm. and awesome kong which was this great david and goliath story and and you definitely saw something there that you weren't seeing on wwe and yeah awesome kong was a huge part of that but one of the things you said was the first thing you saw was awesome kong destroying the beautiful people uh, angelina love and and velvet sky i'm just curious now that you share a locker room with Angelina Love, have you ever shared this story with her? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> um, I don't know how to like build up, <laughs> build up the uh, I don't know the moxie to be like, hey, uh, I saw Awesome Kong kick your ass like 15 years ago, and then she'll probably have, like, she'll probably have like a little uh, reality check, like, oh wow, I've been uh, wrestling 15 years ago, and. Like, yeah, Awesome Kong kicked your ass like 15 years ago, and that's what made me fall in love with wrestling. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, know, you'd probably take it as a compliment, I would think. Oh, well. Maybe next time. Next time I'll see her, I'll let her know. Yeah, but I got, I did, um, I did, I was like a backstage extra for AEW when they did their pay per view in Baltimore. I didn't do anything. I just, you know, you guys need any help? I'll be here. And they didn't need us for anything, but Awesome Kong was backstage. And I saw her and I like froze. And I'm like, oh damn, it's her. Oh God. Like I still marked out when I saw her. Like, yeah, that's great. Fanboy geeked out when I saw her. I'm like, I, I want to say hi, but I don't know how to say hi. I'm just going to run the other way real quick. <laughs> so you didn't? No, I didn't. And it's weird because like at MCW, we bring in superstars all the time. Like I met Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Goldberg, like all these big names. Like, oh yeah, yeah, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. 
but Awesome Kong was the one that like froze me. Oh, <laughs> didn't we bring Awesome Kong into an MCW show, or was that before your time? That may have been before me. Okay, because I swear to God, she did MCW too. I could be wrong, but oh, well, Awesome yeah, Kong, if you're out there listening to this, uh, hook up, call Joe Keys. I mean, he's he's a longtime fan. I can't believe. Hopefully, you know, at some point you'll get another opportunity. I can't believe you blew that, Joe. Yeah, that was like, it was definitely one of those um, Billy Madisons when I'm driving home. Like you blew it. <laughs> uh, well, I don't want to like um, I don't know like kill her gimmick or whatever, but uh, she was uh, in WWE briefly when I was there as a writer mm-hmm. when she was doing the Karma gimmick. And um, I actually, Joe, unlike you, I actually had the balls to go up to Awesome Kong or or Kia. Kia was her her shoot name and just went up to her and just said, hey, I've always been a big admirer of a big admirer of your work. And, you know, great to see you back. She had been away for a while. Like she had debuted, then left. And she was I think this was when she was doing like a surprise, maybe in the Rumble. I can't remember. It all runs together for me. But anyway, I did go up, introduce myself and just tell her I was a big fan. And um she couldn't have been nicer, Joe. Like she wouldn't have like bit your head off or anything. She was like the sweetest person. I wasn't expecting her if I went up to like smack the crap out of me, but like, I just couldn't find words. Gotcha. Well, it happens happens to the best of us, I guess. We're struck completely. Yeah. Struck. I hear you. Um, all right. So we know about how you became a fan. Let's then go into when does the idea come into your head of like you know what, I, I think I could do that, and I'm going to pursue doing that. So I'm um, 21, and I went to Towson University, which is a school in North Baltimore. As did and, I, Joe. Oh, you really? Yes. Yeah. There you go, T.U. Tiger. <laughs> uh, also, fun fact, one Stacy Keebler as well. Well, I think it won better than, yeah, Stacy Keebler. Also, Kevin Dunn, uh, obviously, I think people know that name, big wig in uh, WWE, uh, mm-hmm. in television production. Also, Big John Gaborik, really? who, who uh, worked with Kevin for years in WWE behind the scenes. He also was back, people might remember, on Tough Enough. Then he went to uh, run things on the executive side, I think, in TNA. So, yeah. So, okay. So, let's, let's, let's recap here. Kevin Dunn, Big John Gaborik, Stacey Keebler, Joe Keyes, and Kevin Eck. This is like... Back in the day, it used to be like West Texas State for wrestler. Now it's Towson State. Well, it used to be it was Towson State when I went there, and those other people. I guess by the time you got there, they dropped the state, and it was just Towson University. Yeah, just Towson University. Wow, it's weird. what a wrestling factory you turned into. So anyway, I was um sorry to take you down. Like just 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 looking into uh, you know wrestling schools, and at the time, the only one that was local was uh, was the old Gilbert School. But that closed down probably like two weeks after I started looking into wrestling school and whatnot. And that's, that's a whole other story, uh, um, which I guess people can find online. Yeah, that's, but, that's, that's probably one we won't tell this on this podcast today. So that, that shut down. I'm like, okay, well, that's unfortunate. That school is probably like 15 minutes away. But then I'm looking at the other local ones, and then there's, uh, there's like Chikara up in Philadelphia which would have been an hour and a half. And then there was the House of Pain Rambo Academy in Hagerstown, a good two hours out west. And I could, like, I don't know much about wrestling, but I could tell by just, like, looking at their training videos and their pictures, like, ugh. 
<laughs> I don't know if this is where I'm going to like dedicate my time and money. Yep. Um, so I was getting a little like dejected, like maybe it isn't supposed to be, you know, maybe I'll just stick with the college degree and, you know, stay in the science world, whatever. But uh, I go, there was a show in Baltimore. I think it was, um, I don't know, just some random Monday Night Raw. And they're handing out flyers. And it just so happened on the flyer was like, come meet Matt Hardy at the Joppa Flea Market, as well as a exhibition for the new MCW training school. I'm like, wow, that couldn't have been like any more godsend than, <laughs> than uh, it could have been. So I went to this little desolate flea market. And it was before like the MCW arena now where we train and have the shows. It's beautiful compared to what it used to look like. It used to look like a flea market. Um, so they just had, you know, a bunch of people there and a little training session going on. And it was nothing like too impressive, but it's like the first time I saw a wrestling ring up close and was able to touch it. And, you know, they had a, uh, Dan McDevin, again, the owner of MCW, was talking to us. Uh, Pat Brink, who was the first trainer who was assigned to FCW twice, was heading the training session. And then it came down to like, all right, if you want to sign up, the sign-up sheets are over here. And I'm like fumbling my thumbs. Like, is this really what I want to do? Uh, am I going to invest my time and you know my life into this? And it just kind of hit me as like, one of those, oh, F it. If I don't do it now, I don't want to be like 30 years old and then regret never doing it. So I just signed up and went for it. And first day of training, I got absolutely uh, my ass handed to me <laughs> <laughs> to where I'm walking to my class. Cause I'm still, I'm still a senior at Towson at this point. So for about the first three months after, not even three months, the first six months after training, I'm just like waddling everywhere. I'm bruised up. I'm always swollen. It just looked like I got my ass kicked every night, which I, we only train like twice a week. But your body, any other wrestlers out there, your body breaking into the stuff, it's horrible at first. Your neck's always hurting. Your knees are always hurting. Um, now, did you have any kind of athletic background? Did you play any sports? I played, I played high school baseball. Okay. Um, then in college, not really. I was kind of like a little schlubby drinking kid <laughs> that went to the gym every <laughs> once in a while. So. Yeah, I wasn't like some ex high school wrestler, like collegiate athlete by any means of the imagination. So I kind of had to like rediscover my body, um, rediscover my athleticism because I was like decently athletic in high school, but I was small and I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but slowly, you know, step by step, developed into where I am now. Uh, but it was a little discouraging at first because I, when I first started wrestling, I was wrestling with Leo Rush and Velvet Team Dream, and like, they were 18 and 19 and just athletic prodigies. Yeah. Like, Patrick, the Velvet Team Dream, was like already 210 pounds, like a 5% body fat. And he could eat McDonald's every day and like <laughs> not gain an ounce of fat. So it was a little discouraging being around those guys all the time. But at the same time, like that little kick in the ass like okay if i need to keep up with these guys i need to like get the next gear right you know i mean yeah, those those were guys in patrick and leo that um not look not that they didn't have to work hard because everybody has to work hard but they right. had they were naturally 
athletically gifted and like you said, almost prodigies in a way that they just picked up on things super quick. I think Leo probably maybe quicker than Patrick. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure about that. That's still the way I recall it. Um, but these guys were just, you know, to use another cliche naturals. And um, I could almost, I can see where like for the rest of the class, it's almost like, damn, like that's setting the bar kind of high. But on the other hand, it certainly makes you want to work harder. Yeah, there were definitely people who got discouraged by it and dropped out. The famous, the famous line was, we get some heavy set kid that thought that wrestling was just going to be easy stuff. Um, and then we get blown away and they say, oh, join back again in three months. Let me do some P90X. And we heard that from so many different people. We thought it was almost like a rib at some point. <laughs> um, but they would come back and they were even, even worse shape. Uh, and then all of us had gotten progressively better and then they would just, just quit. At this point, there are so many people that signed up and quit. I, I don't even remember the names of people that walk in anymore. Uh, Bill, go ahead, there sorry. Some, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, as, as we sort of said before, but there were some really distinguished members of that, of that class that you were in, not just Leo and Patrick, but um, Dante was in that original class, right? And Ken, Ken Dixon. Um, Ken was Dante came a year later. I oh, believe. okay. Okay. Um, Jessica Carr, a referee from SmackDown, was in that class. Uh, in addition to Renee Michelle, right. was also in that class. Well, Jessica was um, yes, as you said. Now she is a referee on SmackDown. When she was Jesse K on the Indies, she actually yeah. did some work uh, in Ring of Honor. So I think, you know, Ring of Honor fans may remember her from the Women of Honor days. Um, she mm -hmm. wasn't very long, but she did, she did uh, have, you know, a cup of coffee here. Um, and then she got that opportunity to take a different path and become a referee. And obviously it's, you know, worked out great for her. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's interesting, I guess. You see the names coming out of that class that have made a name for themselves in this business. But, you know, I guess you don't think about all the people who were there and, and quit and couldn't hack it, right? I'm sure you saw plenty of those. Yeah, and uh, it's not just at our place. I'm sure that's the, the case with a lot of wrestling schools everywhere. Because um, after a while, and you know, I've been uh, at MCW for like three years, and Dean and RJ came up to me. and was like, yeah, we, um, you need to expand out. You need to see where else you can go, like, get training from. And – they're like, not necessarily take everything that people are going to say at you because some people are just idiots, but, you know, you need to see what else, what else is out there in the world. So I did a random seminar for Mike Quackenbush and Shakara, um, me and my tag partner at the time, uh, Rob, and Quack liked what we were doing. We were just being goofballs, but because we knew how to do, like, tag wrestling as a unit, Quack was like, oh, I could, I could use these guys. So Quack invited us to train with him. So about a year and a half, Rob and I went up and learned uh, Quack and Bush Lucha style for a while, which, you know, really helps in the end game when you're going out and you have to wrestle. They say a Ray Horse comes up uh, and you got to wrestle him, but you know how to do some of his moves and whatnot. Just adds another element to your game. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's that was great advice from from RJ and from Dean. Is um, all right. You've you've learned some stuff here. You've learned a lot of good things here. But now you got to go out and um, you know it's just like back in the old territory days. You got to go from place to place and you learn different styles. You face different. Uh, you, know, you work with different people and makes you ultimately a more well-rounded 
performer. And as they said to you, like, don't take everything that you, you know, there's, there's good places and there's bad places. And you, it's kind of up to you, I guess, to figure out like who are the people that are giving me really good advice. And, you know, you can also see maybe the wrong way to do things, which can be beneficial to you in the long run as well. But I want to ask you what your parents' initial reaction was, because I know that your mom is, uh, she used to be a state prosecutor. She's now a judge. Your dad uh, is a college professor. Is that correct? Yeah, college professor. He created his own forensic science program at uh, Stevenson University, which is a small private school in, uh, in Northern Maryland. Okay, so uh, when, when, when Joe, the college student, comes to his state prosecutor slash judge mom and college professor dad and says, yeah, you know, this college thing, you know, this, what were you made? You were like a science major. Is that right? I did graduate. I graduated with uh, molecular and cell biology. Okay. Uh, So, So did you start training before or after graduating? I started training my senior year. Okay. So when you go up to your parents as you're still a co- as you're senior in college, you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to try this wrestling thing. What was their reaction? So initially, um, when I had first started, I, like my mom, my mom was always on my ass. Like, are you going to do an internship? Are you going to, you know, are you looking for jobs? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Um, I kind of threw out there like, I, yeah, I want to, I want to, you know, looking at training for pro wrestling, which I already was at the time, and she laughed at me, like hysterically laughed at me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kidding, mom. I'm, I'm looking for stuff. So I hid it from them. I hid it from them for about two years. And it wasn't you were training until... training for two years and they didn't know? I was, yeah, I was training for two years. They didn't know. I started getting put on the MCAW shows about a year and a half in. And they still didn't know. And they didn't find out until one of my mom's coworkers went up to her one day in the office. And he has two sons. And they would go to the MCW shows regularly. And he went up. He said, I saw your son wrestle the other weekend. And he was fantastic. <laughs> like, you could tell he's new. But, like, he, him and his partner were funny. And she kind of looked at him like, sideways. What are, you, what are you talking about? And the guy, like, showed her the flyer and explained it all. And she didn't, she told me, it's like, when I found out, I didn't want to burst your bubble right away. So I waited. Um, and like, I would always share the events on my Facebook page, but I would block my mom from seeing it. <laughs> and um, so she would go on the website and she would see when the events were. And then she found one when it was a Joppa and she saw that Rob and I were advertised. So she went and she didn't tell me. So she went incognito to a show. Rob and I were making our entrance and there's probably like 800 people here. I forget who was advertised, but I look around and I see her and I see her giving me like this death glare, like not blinking. Like I may as well just came home and like punched my sister in the face or something like that death glare. And I just about like crap my pants all the way to the ring. Like I went flush white. Like I just lost feeling to my fingertips. I was that terrified of my mom finding out, but she found out on the entrance to one of my matches. I was going to say, it's amazing that you were able to spot her in the crowd, especially with 800 people there. It was by dumb luck. She was just happened to be close by. Okay. 
And like we're going into the match and I, I lean over to my tag partner. I'm like, I forgot everything. My mom's here. And Rob's like, what are you talking about? Doesn't your mom always come? Like, no, like I had to explain the situation to him while the match was going on. And he started laughing at me too. And I just kept looking over my shoulder at her. And I don't think she blinked the entire time we were out there. And <laughs> afterward we were done, like we got our asses kicked. And like, I quickly got to the back and I'm like shivering a little bit and Dixon's making fun of me. Look, what the hell's the matter with you right now? And I'm like, my mom's here. And like, they all started laughing at me and I just got a text from her and she said, don't call for a week. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went home finally and I saw her in person and she was just like, I'm 22 at the time. And I like just found my first dumpy job. So I make like $15 an hour and she's, like, this is what you want to do with your life? Like, you went through college, you went through all this, you graduated, this, 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 you want to do pro wrestling? Like, what am I, like, I'm an attorney. Your dad's, like, his top professor. You could do anything you want. You want to do wrestling. Like, she's berating me and belittling me, like, really hard. And <laughs> from there, she's, like, she just, she didn't talk to me for a while. And then she started going to the shows. And she told me she came around to it because she would meet up with her other like lawyer friends. And they'd be like, oh, my kid's like doing this. My kid is, you know, an accountant. My kid's in med school. And then she would go, my kid's a pro wrestler. And then everybody would be like, what? That's the coolest. And then she just kind of slowly came around to it a little more and a little more and a little more. And now she goes to like all the events that she can. Oh, that's good. Okay. So there's a happy ending here. She now is. Okay. She, um, she even when she was running for judge. And I had a pre-show dark match in Philly for Ring of Honor. And it, they just told me like an hour beforehand, she's in Bel Air, Maryland. So Philly is about like an hour and a half drive. And I told her like, I don't know if you can make it, but I'm getting put on the show. She wrapped up one of her campaign rallies early so she could haul ass an hour and a half up to Philly, the ECW, like illegally parked on the front curb to watch my five minute match and then head back. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, like, while she was running for judge. That is a great story, though. Like, that's that's one of the best stories. I I, I can't like I've I've asked so many people about like you know what did your parents say when you you know some people oh they were supportive or no they hated it or but like this is the greatest story ever that I think I've ever heard is that your mom shows up in the crowd unannounced and that's how you find out that she knows that you're a wrestler. Yeah, she went that's totally incognito. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, look, we're going to squeeze our second break in here, and then we'll be back with more with Joe Keys right after us. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Joe Keys. Uh, Joe, we've been talking a lot about your uh, MCW days. Um, you mentioned your tag team partner, Rob. Uh, Rob Locke is the name that he went by. Locke and Keys, right? That's Joe Keys, Rob Locke. You guys were part of uh, Ken Dixon's 
faction. He was the, doing Dixon line security. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was really the first time, I guess, that I started seeing you, like you started coming out of your shell where, and I remember, I think I told you guys, I told you and Rob, I don't know if you remember it, but I remember telling you guys when you were starting to show more personality, Ken obviously was basically Ken doing the gruff, badass <laughs> thing where you and Rob were doing like this silly, you know, like you had your hair like in a, you were doing, weren't you doing like the Chris Jericho hair back in the day when he had it like. Almost, but it was like even shorter than Chris. Like I didn't even have a full ponytail. It's like a little sprout of hair. Right. A little thing on top of your head. And you know, Rob, I mean, people obviously listening is probably don't know Rob, but Rob has this very, um, <laughs> exp- like he gets these facial expressions that are like, he does the big eyes, the crazy eyes thing. He's got a muppet face. You guys were showing all this personality. I remember like it's the first time I saw a lot of personality. And um I told you guys, I'm like, man, you guys are almost like like DX, like just the the vibe I was getting. And I could see like something was uh was building there. D- did you get that sense too? Like, all right, like I'm coming out of my shell here. I mean, was it hard for you to sort of be more extroverted? It was because um you know, I was just really, really shy and really kind of crowd shy when I first started. And I accredit a lot of that to Rob because Rob's personality is so just over the top out there. And he has unmedicated adult ADHD. So he's just nuts all the time and nothing phases him. Nothing bothers him. Um, so just going out there and messing with the crowd or doing whatever, you almost had to like match his personality and keep up with him or you were just going to get overseen because everyone's just going to watch Rob. <laughs> so in a way, I had to keep up with him and his personality and his antics or I was just going to get ignored. <laughs> and so in doing so, like, I, like you said, it pulled that personality out of me, that side like I didn't even know I had. Um, otherwise, I would have just been like quiet and timid Joe. Like, I hope I remember my wrestling moves. So, good. so yeah, like, I credit a lot to my early, I don't know, personality to Rob. Because uh, if I was just out there as a singles, I probably would have sank a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I remember you guys were doing this thing. Was it, what did you call it? The safety sandwich or something like that? Was it? <laughs> I don't remember even. I think so. Yeah, and I, I got a, I got a picture after the show one time with you guys. I had I put it on my social media. I have to probably I should go find it when this podcast comes out and put it up again with you and Rob, where you would do this thing where you would like hug people in a we very, like, yeah. We would uh, we would almost make like a little tower above them, lock our hands, yeah, and bring them down and hug people. But we would do. We later made a move out of it where we would like double belly to belly somebody, right. But that was the big setup for it. But for whatever reason, it just got so goofy that people, people would just come up to a word and like, can you safety sandwich me? <laughs> and if you could imagine just walking up to the street on somebody and be like, safety sandwich me, just how bizarre that would sound. But again, it's wrestling, so it's not out of context. <laughs> yeah, well, that's when you know, like, it, it, it's, it's some, you never know what's going to get over. And yeah. sometimes it is the goofiest things or things you wouldn't think. But that was getting over. It definitely was. And it was, you guys were such a good compliment to Ken, who, mm. you know, the leader of the Dixon line and was this, you know, badass that he is. And you've got these two guys, you know, hugging people. And yeah. they, <laughs> it, it definitely all worked. Um, I want to talk to you about what I think 
was your first match ever. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but was your first match ever um, with Rob against Eric Chappell and Dirty Money? So that was my first match as Joe Keys ever. Okay. Uh, my first match ever, we kind of had like um, a little in-house character. The guy's name was Hocus. And he was supposed to be some just some jester guy that they threw like a book cover mask over the person's face. And I wrestled Leo Rush one night because his opponent uh, got in a car wreck or something. But that was just five minutes. And it was such a rib because the mask, I couldn't see more than like eight feet in front of me. So Leo was just lighting me up at the time. And I couldn't see where he was throwing strikes or doing anything. But um, I guess my second overall match ever was against uh, Eric and Dirty. It was me and Rob. Um, and we had just – Ken ribbed us a few weeks earlier, and RJ helped, and we had just gotten our head shaved. So there's us two goofy-looking, pale white people heading to the ring against Dirty and Eric, who were just, like, jacked up. And I think you were with him. No, this is before you were with him. Well, yeah, let me set – I was going to set up the story. So, <laughs> yeah, Eric and Dirty, uh, we called them the Ectorage, right? And this was way before there was a Miztourage in WWE. Okay, Miztourage was stolen <laughs> from the Ectorage. So I was doing this heel manager gimmick, and Eric Chapel and Dirty Money were my my two wrestlers, my tag team. And um, this was in Hollywood, Maryland, right? Not Hollywood, California. This was in Hollywood, Maryland. And I had this deal with Dan, Dan McDevitt that I would only do because I had a long way to travel to the shows because I think at this point I was still living in Connecticut and was, really? yeah, this is when I was like, I was no longer working for WWE, but I hadn't moved yet and I was still in Connecticut. So I was, when I would come in for an MCW show, it was like a four hour drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dan was like, well, just come into the, the shows, the main shows at, in, at Joppa, the MCW arena. So the spot shows, the quote unquote house shows, like this one in Hollywood, he's like, you don't have to come to those. So this was the first match for the Ectorage, and I was not there. I think Dan actually had me send in a promo that they were supposed to play before our uh, Eric and Dirty came out, where I, you know, basically said, you know, why would I come to Hollywood, Maryland, the stinking town, blah blah blah, you know, typical heel heat, cheap heat stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so so we have this. Ectorage has this first match. And it was designed, you know, you guys are very green and new. And Ectorage was a team, new heel team that was going to get a, you know, a little push. So this was basically, I mean, for lack of a better term, maybe an enhancement match just to get Ectorage, you know, their first win. And um, I didn't really know anything about you and Rob really at that point. But I know that, uh, and I don't know if I've ever told you the story, but uh, Eric, after it was over, like the next day I talked to Eric and I was like, hey, how did it, how did it go? And he's like, oh, man, not good. He's like, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, he, goes, he goes, those guys, you're so green. And, you know, I can't believe it was blah, blah, blah. I, I, and, I, you know, obviously that's all under, water under the bridge. Eric, rest in peace, is no longer with us. Eric was a good friend of mine. Um, but at that time, he was just like, yeah, man, I don't know about these guys. I don't know if they're going to make it. And, and, and that was sort of like at the beginning, I was just like, yeah, I don't know. And so from that point, that was my starting point with, knowing about you and Rob and then seeing the reason I'm telling the story is seeing you guys grow from that. But just let me get your side. So like you're thrown into this match 
very early in your careers against, you know, these guys. Like, what, what's your recollection of that night? So I remember it was like they told – by they, I mean, like Dan and RJ told Rob and I we were going to have a match. It was the same way you set up. It's going to be kind of an enhancement match. But we had like 12 minutes, maybe even like close to 15. And I'm with – this is my first time tagging with Rob. And Rob had only been wrestling, like maybe he only been training maybe six, seven months, me probably eight. And I'm looking at Rob, I'm like, Rob, we don't we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> and and Rob's like, Rob's just happy to be there. Rob's like, oh, that's fine. They're, that's they'll tell us what to do. And like there definitely came to a point in the match where just like everyone looked lost. Yeah. And I could tell Eric was getting, like, increasingly frustrated. Um, but Dirty Money, Dirty Money was just cool throughout the whole thing. And I remember Dirty, after the match, he just came up to me. You know how Dirty was. He's always really cool and laid back. But he came up to me, and he's like, my man, that wasn't it. That wasn't <laughs> it. <laughs> he just walked away. <laughs> That's I can hear Dirty saying that. That's great. Like, that wasn't it. Um, <laughs> but I remember Eric almost got himself into a little trouble. Because uh, after the match, like Rob, Rob totally blanked at some point on the back end and just forgot everything. And I think Rob got the quote unquote hot tag for us, whatever that was going to be, and he just totally forgot everything. And so Rob, being like crazy, crazy ADHD, just started doing stuff. So like, here, body slam, here, don't move. Uh, uh, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But Rob starts like screaming and running in circles. And for whatever reason, like the crowd got behind that. And <laughs> Eric was pissed because uh, I think him and Dirty tried this tag move on me. Um, where like Dirty would hold me in like the side slam and Eric dropped the leg. And then Dirty bumped me and I somehow my knee hit Eric in the back of the head. And so Eric was already fired up from that. And then just Rob just being goofy. So like the end of the match happens and Rob took the finish. And I think, I forget what they were doing. I forget what they were doing for a finish at the time, but somehow Eric got uh, hit again. by I think dirty this time. <laughs> it wasn't even one of us. And so one, two, three happened. And I could just see Eric just like mumbling the F word under his breath. And he just starts like, shoot stomping the hell out of rob and i'm on the outside like whoa what is this and i go in i go to grab rob and eric like kicks me as hard as he could like in the ass <laughs> and i roll out i'm grabbing rob and rob's like what the hell was that <laughs> and like that's when we get to the back and rj's there like huffing and puffing i thought he was mad at us which he was in retrospect but that's when Dirty came back. He's like, man, that one not it. And then Eric came back, and he looked like he was about to strangle Rob and I. But then RJ was right there, like our freaking dad. He's like, what the hell was that? Like, what the hell were you doing? Get your heat on them. And you know, like, RJ pretty much saved us from getting beat up by Eric again. Yeah. <laughs> but he was pissed. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm, in retrospect, I'm glad I wasn't there for, for that. But, yeah, like you said, though, Eric was um, – and, again, Eric was, was – uh, one of my one of my best friends and he's no longer with us so i certainly don't want to speak ill but you know he did he did have a temper and um you know he was a great he was one of those guys that tough exterior but hard of gold underneath but he could he did have a temper and yeah i mean what he did was unprofessional he took liberties with you guys you guys were green um probably should have kept his composure but 
it, yeah, I mean, the heat was on him, really. And it's like, man, the Ektaraj could have been over before we even got started. Um, but, look, you know, I, ultimately, again, the cream rises to the top. You guys from that, you know, inauspicious beginning or whatever, you know, you got to where you are now. You're where you are now. So, obviously, everything worked out. I want to ask you, what was with the head shaving thing, though? Why, why was why – was, so that was that was Ken Dixon. Ken went to RJ and said, "I need to like, because Ken's getting over in the locker room a little bit." And Ken's like, "I need to rib somebody. I need to rib someone good." And at the time, Ken's bald, and we were with McBride, and McBride was bald. And so Rob had Rob was in the military, so he had short hair, really wasn't bothering him. But I was growing my hair out, right? And so mine was kind of, I don't know, like sixteen, seventeen-year-old Justin Bieber long. Not so much where I could tie it up, but, like, long enough. And so Ken comes up to Rob and I. is like, look, boys, if you're going to be with me and Ryan, you got to look the part. So he shaved our heads, and Rob was like, oh, okay, I was getting a haircut next week anyway. And, you know, Rob was fine, but it was me. I was the one that was like, no, growing my hair out. It took me, like, six months to get here, and now i got to start over, and I still got to go to class bald. Just <laughs> one day walking into my senior class is just shaved bald. Well, I give you credit, Joe, because uh, that'd have been a deal breaker for me. I think I would have been like, "Nah, not doing it." Not gonna. I mean, luckily, I mean, for a guy in your position at that point, you really couldn't say no. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I could. Yeah, there's, there's a picture out there somewhere of Rob and I bald uh, in that match, and we're both like pale, fleshy white. I'm skinny fat. Rob's kind of jacked because he was in the military at the time. But then there's like skinny fat Joe with a little bit of beer gut. <laughs> but like I, I said, hey, I from those humble beginnings, look at you now. You're yeah. on one television and you're jacked. Yeah. It, it's one of those things you got to look back on and be like, damn, I can't. It, it's, those moments almost seem like they were forever ago. You know what I mean? Right. Because I think that match happened like six years ago, and like saying six years ago, it felt like twelve years ago. Yeah, that, that match. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was back in 2015. Yeah, six years ago. Yeah. So, man, it's a, like a lifetime ago when you think about it now. Well, let me ask you. Um, so, obviously, we know eventually you make your way to the to the ROH dojo, and like we said, we're here. You're where you are now in your career. I know that the goal of everyone in this business is to eventually give up their quote unquote normal job or shoot job and be able to make a living entirely, uh, with pro wrestling. Um, are you, have you gotten to that point yet? Uh, no, <laughs> not even close to that point yet. Okay. So what do you, what do you do? What is, what, if you want to say, what is, what is the shoot job? So, you know, I said earlier, I graduated in a degree with Mel, uh, I can't even talk right now. Molecular and cell biology. So now I work for uh, Evil Big Pharmaceutical Company. And specifically, I make vaccines. And one of the projects I did work on was the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. So. Which is like, the vaccine that I got. I got it. I got Moderna. Well, if uh, Kevin, if you like feel magnetized or have 5G waves, that is uh, not us. <laughs> there were no microchips. Sorry, we had to abandon that part because it just wouldn't fit. Gotcha. Well, I've only had the one shot so far. I haven't gotten my second one yet. So, 
second one might uh, might make you feel a little sick. Okay. Anyway, so that's um that's what I've been doing. Uh, that's not the only project I work on, but that's the most notorious one. The other ones are pretty uh, confidential. They're kind of a space age, not space age, but like new age medicine that we've been working on, like part of the uh, gene splicing projects that you hear of. Mm. You almost sound like you almost hear them on like sci-fi programs. Yeah, we're working on them now, and some of that technology was used in the COVID vaccines that you're getting now. Uh, that's why we were able to come up with it so quick because we had the means to do it. Right. Um, but. You know, with evil big pharma, evil big pharma has its benefits. And as bad as this sounds, uh, with COVID coming around, my paycheck from them kind of got a big bump. So <laughs> if I'm to quit that job for specifically wrestling, it would have to be some pretty big numbers on the other end. Gotcha. Well, that's good. All right. So you certainly have a job that's interesting and yeah. a job that pays you well. So that's good. You're not... You know, you're not flipping burgers on the weekend. I mean, this is... No, I'm uh, flipping burgers. I'm not like a desk worker or something like that. A lot of people here are like, oh, I, I finally give up work to do wrestling. And most of the time, they sound like they have boring jobs or something that's pretty exhausting. I can say that my lab job is never boring. I've never once dreaded going... Well, I can't say I've never dreaded going to work one day because there's always something to do. Sure. But um, I can't say I've ever been bored. Right. Well, yeah, man, that, that's awesome. That is definitely awesome. But I, I'm sure the goal is still at some point, right, is to um, be a professional wrestler only and make your living entirely through that, I'm guessing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It probably makes your, makes your mom happy that you have this other job. In uh, just, just, just a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> but even not, I'm not speaking on my terms, but a lot of uh, at least independent wrestlers with the COVID shutdowns, a lot of independent wrestlers were making – all of their income based off wrestling. Right. And I'm fortunate enough to have a job that, you know, sounds bad when I say this, thrived off uh, the COVID shutdowns, but something that was able to sustain. And I wasn't affected by any means from it. But there are people out there on the independents who took a big hit financially. No question. No, well, that's definitely very fortunate on your part. And hey, goes back to uh, getting that college education, right? Sticking that out and, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to sound snobby. Yeah, I don't want to sound snobby because I did it, but I definitely feel in retrospect it's very important that one gets one and graduates if there's any inspiring you know, teenage pro wrestlers out there to not just blow it off. Because um, in most instances, maybe wrestling doesn't work out for you. Right. Um, and you need something to fall back on. Let's ask you this before we uh, take our final break um, and come back with 10 questions. A year, a year from now, well, let's, let me go back. To this. Uh, a year ago, you probably mm. did not have envisioned that you <clears throat> where you are now in Ring of Honor. So okay. looking ahead to a year from today, have you, do you think in terms of that, of like, all right, I mean, do you set those kind of goals or do you not try to look too far ahead? Um. I don't know. Like before I used to set the long-term goals, but now I, I'm definitely aiming more short-term. Um, just because me as a person, if I set something too long ago, uh, long goal, I feel like I'll put it off 
But if I set a more short term, then it's more directly in front of me. It's something to work on immediately. As opposed to, you know, like, oh, I can just wait on it or this, hopefully this will happen. Or, you know, I just got to bide my time and wait and be patient. I'm very impatient as a human being. So <laughs> waiting for something long term to come up just isn't my nature. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we're going to head to our final break and then uh, we're going to come back and play a little game we like to call 10 Questions. This is the prestigious one, Joe Hendry here to tell you about shophonor.com. That's the new location to go to for all things Ring of Honor merchandise. We've got an amazing selection with the prestigious Ring of Honor logos, but also we've got merchandise for all your favorite Ring of Honor stars. So go support the company, go support your favorite wrestlers, shophonor.com, I'll see you there. Hey Honor Nation. Check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Joe Keys. Joe, are you ready to play 10 questions? Let's play 10 questions, Kevin. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something, it's funny, okay. <laughs> I just asked you about long-term goals. Right. I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, which is sort of similar, but what's something on your bucket list? Um, this doesn't have to be just wrestling. This is your life bucket list. Oh, damn. Uh, I don't know. Buy a house. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Buy a house. All right, question number two. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Uh, in terms of wrestling? Uh, probably the production and okay. what goes on backstage and uh, with camera angles and camera cuts and you know that uh, that field of the industry. I feel like I just walk by the production area and just it's a whole other magic realm and don't touch anything, don't talk to them because they're busy. But I don't really know what's going on. I feel like I should. Okay. All right. Question number three, Joe. Do you have any hidden talents? Is there something you're good at that uh, maybe we don't know about? I feel like the only hidden secret I have is I'm like an evil scientist, so I just kind of gave that away. But yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Question number four: If you could have a conversation with any celebrity or historical figure, living or dead, who would it be? Who would you love to sit down and talk to? I'm a big science nerd, so probably uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, just to Ooh. pick his brain on uh, not just science, but like the way he thinks in general. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy to listen to. There's no question. Makes, makes me feel stupid, though, when I listen to him. Well, a few times. Uh, fun fact, he used to be an ex-shoot uh, wrestler. I did not know that. When you say a shoot wrestler, you mean like college? Amateur. Yeah, I don't, I don't know college. I remember I saw a picture of him um, at, a, at a WrestlePro event, and he uh, he advertised it, and he, he, well, I stole his own words. Like, fun fact, I used to be an ex-wrestler in high school or something like that. Okay. Brains and brawn. 
Mm-hmm. Good combo. All right, question number five. What's something popular that you don't see the appeal of? Um, man, I never watched Game of Thrones. I feel like I'm out of a lot of pop culture references and circles, especially music. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm really out of date with, uh, like I said, a lot of TV uh, and music and just general pop culture of 2021. <laughs> I'll tell you what, wait till you get to be my age, Joe. You really feel out of it. You got some time. Yeah. Yeah, you got some time. All right, I heard that a little. There's a little shot there. Okay, you got plenty of time. All right, question number six. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if not, do you believe in its existence? There was one. There was one. Um... One of my high school best friends was going through a phase where he was going through like a ghost hunting phase or something, garbage like that. Uh, so we picked a bunch of spots around Baltimore where people have reported seeing something. We, uh, we went to this place called Fort Howard, which was like an abandoned uh, psych ward for the military. So perfect spot. We walked through this abandoned hospital and truth be told, it was disgusting. Like the bottom floor just had a bunch of broken <laughs> junky needles and used condoms and beer cans and whatnot. And so we're exploring this place a little more and we're walking around. It's just a gutted building, but there's one of those convex mirrors. And I don't know if it was the lighting from the flashlight we had or brain playing tricks, but I swear to God, I saw a face and like my heart sank, my blood froze, like the instant goosebumps. And it just like ran out of that place. Like no words, just abandoned my friends, ran out of the place, almost slipped on the stairs covered in glass. Um, <laughs> But whether whether or not I saw what I saw, my brain thought I saw what I saw, and never going back to that place again. <laughs> hey, man, I respect that. I respect the fear. Yeah, you, you, something like that happens. Get get the hell out of there. I don't yeah, think. walking in skeptical. Like, yeah, this is stupid, but whatever. I'm doing it because he's all excited about it. But I, I, like I said, the brain played a trick, and it it got me. <laughs> So Fort Howard, Fort Howard Psych Ward, if anybody feels like trespassing on government property. (laughs) All right, question number seven. Uh, Joe, obviously anyone can look at you and tell that you're in fantastic shape, Uh, but we all have our, everybody has to have a cheat day. Uh, What's your favorite cheat food? Um, It's either IHOP pancakes or probably alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, because I hardly drink, it doesn't even take that much alcohol to get me there. So I wouldn't even call it like a cheat day. <laughs> it just takes me two drinks and I'm like, I'm done. Uh, yeah, preferably not the pancakes and alcohol at the, at the same city. Oh, God, not yet. Uh, that not might yet. be next week. That might be next week's project. <laughs> All right, question number eight. Uh, this is an interesting question now, considering earlier you said you don't watch a lot of TV, but right. I already had this as question eight, so I have to ask it. What's the last TV show that you binge watched or are currently binge watching? Or do you just actually, not, uh, oh, go ahead. Now I was gonna say, or you do you just not binge watch shows? Um, it was actually Modern Family, uh, because my uh, my roommate when they do work because they work remotely, they play something on TV just like background noise, and I usually end up watching it. So they had just Modern Family playing randomly. And I couldn't like stop watching it. I think it was the funniest show I've ever seen in my life. Maybe it's because I don't watch enough TV. But for whatever reason, I was blown to figure out that it, it, it stopped filming two years ago. 
Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was still on TV, but I, Modern Family, I couldn't stop watching for about two months. Okay. All right. Question number nine. Who is your celebrity crush? Oh, man. I got to think one now. <laughs> <laughs> well, growing up, well, you said now. Hmm. Well, no, it could be growing up or now. You, you answer okay. it whichever way you'd like. But I, like I said, when I first started watching TNA, I had a huge crush on Gail Kim. Huge crush on Gail Kim. Yeah, join, join, join the, uh, join the club. Everyone else. <laughs> you know what? It's still Gail Kim. <laughs> it's still Gail Kim. Fourteen years later. Yeah, that was a is a lovely woman, no doubt about that. <laughs> All right, question number 10, the final question of 10 questions. Right. What's the best piece of advice that you've been given about the wrestling business and who gave it to you? It probably came from RJ. And he said, you're going to fail and you're going to fall on your face. But when you fall on your face, fall forward. Um pretty much meaning like there's just going to be so many times you just mess up and F up or, you know, crap the bed. So they say, but it's all learning experience. And you just got to keep, keep going. You got to rush past it. You know, fans are going to say what they're going to say. You know, your coworkers are going to say what they're going to say, but you can't let it get to you because it's just, that's just part of the game. Uh, you learn from it, dust yourself off until you fall again the next time but keep following in the right direction. Some sage advice uh, from RJ, for sure. And safely put, over uh, my six years to the point now, I have fallen on my face a lot. <laughs> but, like you said, fall forward, keep getting up. And mm. uh, so far, the face is hanging in there, Joe. Yeah, for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, before I let you go, uh, can you tell us where people can find you on social media? Fantastic. So um, I don't really have a worker page on Facebook, but on Instagram and Twitter, it is at Cup of Joe Keys for both. I was really proud of that Twitter, both those handles, at Cup of Joe Keys. I thought it was hysterical when I made it five years ago. <laughs> Uh, it's mildly clever. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was great at the time. All right. Well, Joe, Hey man, thanks uh, so much for coming on today. Give me so much of your time. Like I said, just for me personally, um, I always find it very cool when people that I saw literally kind of like walk in the door on day one mm -hmm. at MCW, um, make it in this business. And I'm so thrilled that you're part of ring of honor. Uh, so man, just, Best of luck going forward. Best good luck this weekend against LSG mm -hmm. and, and beyond. Oh, I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you for your time. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And I want to remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked on to ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, you can read my column, X-Files, every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.